good to be with you this morning. Um, I hope you had a good holiday. Some of the best things in life cannot be hurried. I wonder, did anyone enjoy smoked brisket or smoked some type of smoked meat for Christmas? Did anyone do that? Anybody break out their, there? Okay, there we go. That's good. That's good. Not just the turkey or the ham, but smoked meat. If you think about really good brisket or really good ribs, what do they say? Low and slow, right? So it takes a lot of time for meat to sit by fragrant, right temperature, heat, over a long amount of time and for it to properly cook so that you get all this really good flavor. I'm not a, a smoker of meats, but I love that I have friends who do and that know how to do it well. Maybe, maybe you're a little bit more of a sweet tooth. How about s'mores? My kids think I am the master s'more maker. Now, I don't have any official designation as such, but why am I a master s'more maker in their eyes? Well, it's because I'm patient I do not think, in my humble opinion, I do not think that you need roaring flame and then to stick a marshmallow in there because what's it turn out to be? Carcinogen. (laughs) It gets this black, crusty thing on the end of the stick. No, the best s'more, in my opinion, is one where you're lingering by the fire until those coals are just right. And then you slowly and methodically turn the marshmallow, so that all the sides of it, all of a sudden, if it's over the right kind of fire, it just gets puffy, golden, gooey, and then you slide it off in between the crackers and the chocolate and all that stuff. Is anybody hungry? Lunch is coming. But but you'll be rewarded, in my humble opinion, with the best s'more if you just wait for it. Some things in life just can't be done in a hurry. They can't. But we know about hurry, and we live in a hurry. Our natural pace is hurry. I'm even trying to just watch my pacing this morning because I want to talk faster. I've got a lot to say, right? But it's the waters that we swim in in this culture. Who hasn't gotten behind a steering wheel and pulled out in traffic, or you're merging, or you're at a stoplight, and you're like, I got to go. Anybody go grocery shopping last weekend or this weekend? (laughs) There's a lot of other people grocery shopping, right? And you're eyeing which lane can I, amen, can I go in to reduce my time? I got to hurry. I got other things to do. Kiddos, let's be honest. How many times have your parents said, come on, get your coat on, get your shoes on, get out the door. Come on, let's go, let's go. Any kids? Any kids? Yeah, okay. How about kids? Have you said that to your parents? Have you had to say, come on, dad. Yes, thank you for the honesty. No shame here. Some things just can't be done in a hurry. And specifically this morning, because of our text, I'm even talking about our faith and discipleship as we grow to be more like Jesus. Now, you and I know that the slow and oftentimes difficult path that the Lord takes us on is what he actually uses to shape us. But we still would kind of prefer three easy steps, right? 
or a detour around that. Because it's a little easier. Right? That's our preference. We can, just, can we just hurry this up along, God? Now, deep down, we know we want deeper dependence upon him. We want trust. We want to be formed the way he wants us to be formed. But we still just would prefer and opt for a shortcut. And I, I was praying with someone three weeks ago today in this space after a service who was facing a medical Uh, results of a medical test. And I prayed boldly for healing, not knowing what it was. I prayed for healing, but I also acknowledged in prayer that sometimes the Lord shapes things in our lives that he couldn't do any other way except through hardship, except through trial. I've lived that. You likely have lived that as well. So as we turn the page, in some ways we're turning both the the proverbial page, but also the physical page of the calendar from one into the next. There are some questions maybe that I want to suggest this morning. What might Jesus want us to learn about the good way of discipleship, right? A good way of a disciple and, and collectively as a church, but also personally, how we grow to become more like Jesus, and that's why I chose this helpful text at the end of Mark 10, excuse me, Luke 10, with Mary and Martha, which we've already had read. It was a joy for Audrey to read that this morning. These women, Martha and Mary, are good friends of Jesus, and they're devoted followers of Jesus. And so I'm sure it was a joy for them to welcome Jesus into their home. Now, there's some, some things that I want to unpack for us, some cultural, some things, some spiritual things. Uh, but, but let me just, again, I'm going to, because I think it's worth reading Scripture, let me just read slowly so that we can digest these five verses. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Three things I want us to see. Martha's good intention. Mary's good attention. Jesus' good invitation all the while realizing that this life that Jesus has for us, an abiding or lasting life, is a better life. It's not something that you can rush. Who likes road trips? I love road trips. Just got back from one yesterday, being with my in-laws for the holiday. My family, my, my kids love welcoming people into our home, whether they're there just for a meal, a single meal, or if they're there for a visit, they, we call them the welcoming committee because it doesn't matter the weather. They leave the front door wide open 
And they're probably in their bare feet on the front step or down the sidewalk. And they're watching. They're watching for their car to pull in the driveway. And we're inside waiting. And all of a sudden we hear, they're here, they're here. And there's celebration, right? It just makes you feel so joyful when you can welcome people into your home, especially people that you really, really love. So I'm wondering, since we've been talking a little bit in here, it's okay to make noise in our family room. We don't want to be silent. I want you to turn to your neighbor and for a minute or so, just say, who do you love having to come over? Who is it that just you, you celebrate when they come over? So talk amongst yourselves for a minute or so. Okay, talk back to me. Who who are some of these people? Tell me. Grandkids. I heard grandkids. Your family. Who who is this, Mr. Titus? Who who is it? Bennett. Oh, is that a friend or a cousin? It's your friend. Oh, a good friend. Thank you for that. Who else? Who is it? The Amazon. Oh man, that's good. That's good. I see a hand back there. Who is it? Friend. Isn't there something good about a good friend? Probably doesn't even need to knock on the door, ring the doorbell, just walks right in, right? Surprise, I'm here, right? So we love when people come to visit, and we've done some preparation for them. And so imagine you've got Martha, Martha who knows Jesus, and she supported his ministry, and she gets to welcome them into her home. What joy. And she has some very good intentions to serve them, to meet their needs. So think of it. They didn't just get out of the minivan or the SUV and walk in. They've been walking. They're tired. These are men. They're hungry, right? They're really hungry. And so she's prepared for them. And they walk in and she's, she's ready and they're ready for just some fellowship, to be together, some refreshment, some really good food. In this culture... Showing hospitality, if you're a Jew, showing hospitality to a fellow Jew was both a joy, but also an expectation. They had a much more communal and hospitable culture than we do in the West today. And so there were some some expectations, you might say, when you welcome people into your home. And so she has planned for it. She's prepared. She has she has good intentions to meet their needs, and it's a privilege because think of who she's who she's serving, just not any old Jew. She has the opportunity to serve this very special rabbi and his apprentices, his disciples, Jesus. Such a privilege. But you notice how the text described her? There's a little adjective there. She is what kind of servant? Distracted servant. She's distracted, verse 40 told us. Hmm. So there's food, right, that has to be offered to them and extended, and there's needs that have to be met. And in that particular moment, she's distracted with much serving. 
when who is sitting in her living room? The promised Messiah of Israel. When he's there, she's just consumed with distraction and busyness. She missed out. That's sad, isn't it? This last fall, uh, in late October, I got to be in Colorado Springs visiting a, an old friend I hadn't seen in two decades. And I had a little spiritual retreat when I was out there, and then I spent some time with him and his six kids and his wife, and then he, he suggested a couple of things. While you're here, you should see Garden of the Gods, and you should you know, do, do these couple of things. And he suggested Pikes Peak, which is a beautiful thing, except that if you're alone and you're driving up the 60 miles or whatever it is, you miss the vistas. And he said, just splurge a little and take the railway. Anyone taking the railway up the Cog Railway? Okay, yep. Up and back. It's, it's an hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes up and back. It's slow. Gives you time to take in all the scenery. And it was stunningly beautiful. And there was a, a nice family sitting next to me. Uh, in the seating area, and they were from Texas, and they had come out to enjoy the Rocky Mountains, and they were telling me where they're from in Texas is flat. Now, I consider this kind of flat here in Michigan, too, right? The Farmington Hills, there are some, some hills, right? But they said, like, it's really flat, as far as the eye can see, flat in Texas where they're from. So they were really excited to come out again to see the Rockies and all these gorgeous, beautiful peaks, except they kind of missed them. Why? They actually were on their phones for like most of the time and or taking a nap. And I don't even know how the phone thing worked because my phone had like no service after the first 15 minutes. You're so high that you're beyond the cell signal. I had no cell service and I'm I'm trying really hard not to judge them. Please know my heart. I tried not to judge them. But I thought, why did you people just spend like over $200 for your family to go on this experience and you're taking a nap or you're looking at your phone? Have you looked outside the picture window? Which thankfully God allowed me to sit next to so that I could take it in. Right? So all of this beautiful scenery around us and they missed it because they chose distraction looking at their phone or the back of their eyelids instead of looking at the scenery around us. And I thought, oh, I'm just sad for them. And I'm sad for Martha too. Despite the fact that her intentions were to serve Jesus, she missed out on the moment of being present with Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit shines the mirror on my life and reminds me, oh yeah, it's real easy to do the same for me. It's really easy for me to not take the moments that he knows that I need with Jesus. He continues to speak to me through his scripture about my motivation, my attention, my time. And there are a couple things that we can likely learn from the real life example of our dear Martha. First is the idea of hurry and distraction. These two things in tandem are deadly to our souls. And that's not an understatement. I think the two of them together, hurry and distraction, are an amazingly effective tool of the enemy. I don't like the person that I am when I feel hurried. I happen to know that the people who love me don't like the person that I am when I'm hurried and distracted. It is a great block to my spiritual formation when I am that way. And God doesn't want that for us. You know, I looked through the Gospels a little bit. 
I don't have um, any indication that Jesus was ever in a hurry. He moved at about two to three miles per hour because he walked everywhere. It doesn't seem like he was ever hurry, in a hurry. It also doesn't seem like he was ever distracted. Now he had a lot on his mind, especially when he knew the whole pathway was to Calvary. He had a lot on his mind emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He carried a lot physically, right? But, but when all of this stuff was going on, he always seemed to be attuned to the Father and attuned to people around him and not in a hurry and not distracted. He just had this beautiful settledness that he carried in his body and in his spirit. A true story has been told about a pastor who, who pastored a very large church, and he was on a phone call some years ago with his mentor, a very wise older man. And he asked him, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Which is a great question to ask. And there was some silence. And the old wise mentor said, you must ruthlessly Eliminate hurry from your life. The pastor wrote down the words. Oh, that's really good. That's really good advice, he said. And he asked, okay, what else is there? Again, silence. And then Dallas Willard replied, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. If you start with ruthlessly eliminating hurry, all of a sudden some things open up and God has an opportunity to break through. So the invitation is for us to fight against hurry and distraction. But that wasn't the only thing, really. The core thing, there's so much about prioritization in the life of Martha, wasn't there? That she was prioritizing being I'm sorry, doing for God over being with God. She chose to just do all of these things instead of be. And wow, that's easy for us as well, right? For some of us, it's a really good habit to have a daily time of reading scripture and praying. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to serve in church, to care for other people, to meet their needs, Right, to be active, involved, and maybe go on a mission strip. All of these are good and right things. I'm not knocking them, but our priority and our motivation is far more important than our effectiveness. God doesn't love us any more or any less by what we do or don't do. Think about that for a minute. If you are in Jesus, God doesn't love you more when you have a quiet time or you come to him and pray, he doesn't love you less when you have missed out for a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade. He doesn't love you any more or less depending on how you perform. And boy, it's taken a long time for me to get that into my thick skull and to embrace that and to believe it. God is less interested in you doing things for him although that is a byproduct of spiritual fruit, he is more interested in just you being with him. Martha. Martha was distracted with much 
serving. She should have prioritized something. The serving was needed, right? They were hungry. There were some things that she needed to do, but just not then. It wasn't then. She, re- she had the wrong priorities in that moment, which tells us she had really good intentions. So we need more than good intentions, don't we? We need good attention. And look at, look at Mary. What is she doing? Verse 39 says that she is the sister who is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Now let me unpack this a little bit because it, I didn't know this at first, first glance. It's not only uncommon in that day, it's uncouth. It's like not okay for her to be there for a couple of reasons. Culturally speaking, homes were divided, living spaces were divided for men and women. Now there would be a time, like Martha did, that she crossed over into other spaces where the men were so that she could serve, meet their needs, and then she would retreat and go back. But you've got a rabbi who chooses his disciples. He invited 12, just 12, And so they're seated with him. And Mary, woman, not chosen of the twelve, who is sitting at his feet, as if she were an apprentice of a rabbi. She's sitting there. She's not in the serving space, preparing things. She's in the space where she is soaking up whatever he is saying. She's spending time with him. She's learning. She's in a posture of humility and attentiveness. Interesting. Not okay in the cultural. And yet she was not condemned for that. We'll get to that in just a minute. You can say that somebody measures, that you could measure somebody's love by the the attention that they give. Let's have a moment of truth. Kiddos, have you ever seen a parent or a grandparent or some older figure that you feel like is spending a little bit too much time on a tablet or a phone? Show of hands. Oh, yeah, some, some young at heart people too, right? Okay, yeah, so some devices have a screen time report, which might be scary to look at, but that could be one indicator of your attention, of what you're giving your attention to. I love it so much when one of my kids comes up to me and, and, and wants to sit with me, sit alongside of me, me read a book or whatever. That That is physical proximity and time and and attention, all of that is so important. And that's how it works with relationships, right? Relationships are not microwave. Not throw it in a bowl, stir it up, stick it in, it's good. Four minutes later, it's good. Nope. Relationships, just like marshmallows, time and proximity and just patience and all of this good stuff, it's worth it. But it takes time. It can't be rushed. And you know it's the same with a heavenly relationship as it is with human relationships. All of these things are so true. If we want to grow with Jesus, it requires the spiritual posture of Mary to hear the words of Jesus. Romans 10:17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, which requires slowness and time listening, attention, not one of distraction, but one of devotion. Not one of distraction. And just think of all the things that we know that Mary didn't know. 
I mean, Mary had like an iota of faith and, and belief. She, maybe she had seen some miracles. She had been maybe around Jesus and his ministry, and there's this growing, like, boy, this, is, this could be the Messiah. So, so Mary giving attention and eagerness to hear, what is Jesus going to talk about? And can I sit at his feet? But compare that to what you and I know. Through the pages of Scripture, whether you're a theologian and you've read every page of this or not, we know that Jesus was the sinless, spotless lamb who went to the cross. So he was the crucified Savior. He was the risen Lord, the King who is seated at the right hand of the Father and reigns. We know that he's coming back. We know not only was he a great theologian, he knew the the mind of God, but we knew he's the best picture of what God is like. The way that he lived is the way that God is like. We know that the gospel spread from the ancient Near East and it jumped to Africa and to Europe and somehow jumped across the pond and here we are today. So we know that over thousands of years, conversion has happened. Like we know so much of Jesus and his work. And there is Mary. All this stuff hasn't even happened yet. And Jesus praises her, commends her because of her faith. He doesn't send her to the other room and say, go help your sister, right? He commends her. Friends, I wonder if, if you've ever thought about, because of what you know, whether that is what motivates you and pushes you towards him. Not a sense of duty. Not a sense of, oh, I should do this. But because of what you know, you know so much more than Mary. Let it lead you to him. One of the best things about kids that I love is their curiosity. They don't have all the answers. They don't have all the things figured out. Neither do their parents. And yet, they're so curious. How does this work? Why is the sky blue? Do big kids still do this? Are we there yet? Just kidding. That's not my favorite one. But, but it's a question. They're curious. They always want to know, are we there yet? Just look at the GPS. They're just curious. That's good. That's a good page out of the kiddo book that we should take. Are we curious? I think Mary was. I think she was curious to find out more about Jesus. She wanted to sit at his feet. And Jesus praises people who have faith like a child. Those who are curious and willing to sit, to be with him, to show love through attention. Doesn't this tie back to our rhythm of life? Maybe you know that phrase. Maybe you don't. All of us have rhythms, certain habits, certain things that we do in life. Some of them are on purpose, some of them are on accident and unintentional. But we all have these things that we do to navigate life, and particularly in our spirituality. Maybe a rhythm for you is that you spend time daily in, in the Word, or you're in prayer, or you fast, or all sorts of things. And I just love, I've tried to adopt this mindset. I just love when my kids come and sit with me and they say, would you read me this book? Can I snuggle with you? I know that time will pass, but I'm holding on to it for all I'm worth right now. And I think, boy, isn't that the heart of the Father? It's not duty to say, oh, I better read my Bible today or he's going to get me. Something bad's going to happen. But to think of the delight of the Father when we sit 
we try to hear his voice. And we hear what's important to him. And we let him change us as the marshmallow changes when it's close to the fire. So we change when we're near the Lord. Some things can't be done in a hurry, especially your spiritual life. Nothing, nothing in your spiritual life will ever be done in a hurry. And oh, I wish it were, other, it were otherwise. But that, that, is, that is the truth. So be curious. Maybe there's something that in this year you're hoping for. We prayed about it a little bit. We planted a seed, but maybe there's something that you're just curious about. One of our life groups several months ago, they gave a, a homework assignment, and they said, we're going to come back over the next couple of weeks, and we're going we're to have done some reading and some writing down of, like, what are the commands of Jesus throughout the Gospels? There's a whole bunch of them. I can't remember. But they told me about this, this experience. It was so good. Everyone went away curious to find all these multiple commands that Jesus gave, and then they came back and they shared them and how that encouraged them. Be curious when you're reading scripture. Be curious when you're going before the Lord to say, I, I really want to experience this, and I'm not there right now. Will you help me? Boy, think of the delight of the Father. All because of good attention, which we saw in the life of Mary. So you have Martha's good intention, but distracted, not prioritizing well. And then you have Mary's good attention, and she's praised. She's given a good job, Mary. But I want to consider Jesus' response to all of this. But there's a little trouble that's brewing under the surface that we can put on our glorified imagination, sanctified imagination to figure this out. I'm sure it's never happened in your home or when you had kids, if you're empty nesters or if you've been somewhere, that it's, it's time for all hands on deck. Everybody's going to help clean up the toys before someone comes or before bed, that everybody's got to do this, right? But what happens, kids, what happens when one kid isn't helping? What's the response? Talk back to me. Oh, there's the truth. I get very mad, okay? So it's not just a, a sweet, like, oh, I wish my sibling were, were helping. Isn't that sad? No, what else? So you're mad? You say anything? That's not fair. Yep, I see hands. Go ahead, Henry. Oh, okay. So, yep. Upset. Huh? Yeah, anybody tattle? Complain? Yes. Not, oh, Father, would you love on your child by helping them? No, it's like, hey, why aren't you helping? Tell them to help, right? That's how it is in my home. Uh, sometimes, kids, there are some lessons that we see of the way we act that show up in Scripture as well. And so in this very true story, I would like to believe that Martha is not coming and saying, oh, Jesus, can I talk to you for a minute, please? I like to think, because it's in here, that she comes up to him with a little sass. Lord, do you not care? Do you not care? that I'm doing all of this. And my sister, like, look at her. A sloth on the floor. She should be helping. Tell her. I mean, can you imagine the audacity? She told Jesus what to do. She chided and corrected Jesus. Maybe it's a good thing she didn't really know who, she, who he was. But she, she calls Jesus out and tells him what to do. 
She's complaining. Oh, you don't care. You don't care about me. Tell her to help. But look at the response of Jesus. And I like to believe that there is some tenderness in the way that he answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion. It's not going to be taken from her. We learn here about Jesus' good invitation for Martha, for his followers, for us. He saw right through Martha's external reality, excuse me, exterior activity into her inner reality. Right? He saw what was really happening underneath. Underneath all the busyness, underneath all the hurry and the worry, he knew what was going on. He named what was below the surface, anxiety, troubles, burdens. That's human nature, isn't it? And he also knew what she needed most, the one thing necessary, verse 42. Now, it's a short conversation. It's a short snippet. We weren't there. We don't have all of it. But what is spoken to her, I suspect she knew. She knew what was really going on below the surface. And what he said may have cut her a bit in all the best ways. But he spoke to her truthfully and graciously. She needed to reset her priorities like her sister. In that particular moment when he was there, the kitchen was not important. The time with him, an abiding, unhurried, attentive, lasting moment with him was important. Mary got a good job. Despite all the cultural pressure, she shouldn't have been there. We all would say, had we been there, she shouldn't have been there. That's not how Jesus saw it. She should have been there. She pursued what was really needed. And I love that Jesus acknowledges that this is not going to be taken from her. It's a deposit. You think of making a deposit. And the idea is it's going gonna, it's gonna to last. It's going to stay. It's going to grow not be taken away. That's an investment you can bank on. We know from other places in the gospel, we don't have time to look at them now, that this produced a beautiful spiritual fruit in, in Mary. She was commended here and other places that it really blossomed. So the issue with Mary and Martha was not one of personality. Well, just one's a busybody and one is a contemplative. That's not personality. That's not, you can't just look at it at the surface like that. Jesus was addressing the heart. It was an issue of the choice of the heart in that moment. Martha chose distraction. Mary chose listening, being with, spending time with, attention. And that is what leads to a full and abiding and lasting life. So Jesus issues a good invitation here, but I also would suggest that you could swap the word invitation for expectation without it carrying too much weight. Hear me out. The better life of following Jesus is the expectation that we become like Jesus. That is the end goal. That's why he redeems us, is to form us into people of Jesus. 
And so it's not that we just go to church, that we have our daily quiet time, that we spend time in prayer, that we fast, that we learn more about God, that we do our good work until he sucks us up into heaven, and then we can really experience a good life. That's not the point of your salvation. The point of your salvation and my salvation is God's glory as he forms us to look more like Jesus. Lots of little Jesuses on the earth to perpetuate the mission of God. That's what he calls us to. To not do more for him, but to become like him. And that requires the slowing of the pace of our life. Doesn't it? Making space. Because you can't accomplish anything spiritual in a hurry. An abiding life with Jesus is a better life. It's not something you can rush. Are you anxious and troubled about many things? As you reflect on 2023 and as you anticipate 2024, are you anxious and troubled? What's the antidote to that? Time with Jesus. It's not rocket science, but it is a choice, and it is a better way. Yesterday, as we drove across uh, Ontario from western New York, coming back from family, we we had our annual conversation of what are some habits that we want to change, what are some things we want to see different. Let's just check in, Allie and I, together. Maybe that's what this week is for you a little bit of a check and an opportunity to change some habits and make new ones and really to ask the question, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? What are the habits that are forming you into the person that you're becoming? Is it intentional? Is it unintentional? How would Jesus respond to these? A gentle correction? A gentle commendation? Personally, every time, Every time I take time out of the office for a spiritual retreat or we do a a soul care day once a month where we're expected and asked to be out of the office or spend an hour in the prayer room backstage every week, every time that I come up to that time on the calendar, it could not be a worse time. I'm stressed I'm not getting things done. I've had like 14,000 things come onto my plate that I just hadn't anticipated. And I can get real close to justifying. Like, it's just not the right time. I would be more productive. That's the lie for me. I would be more productive if I just took this day and powered through. And you know what? Every time without fail, it's exactly what I need. It's exactly what the Spirit of God in gentleness knows that I need in that moment. Again, it's not wrong to do all these things and to be active in ministry. I'm so thankful I get to do this. But in that moment, the Spirit knows what I need. And He's so kind to meet with me. I heard a story once by an old Baptist theologian and pastor, and he told a story about a young man in college who went up to the college president. He was studying a particular program, and he said, would it be possible for me to change up this program to do it a little little faster? And the president said, yes, yeah, 
but it depends on what you want to become. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. When he wants to make a squash, he takes six months or less. What do you want to become? What kind of disciple are you becoming? What does he want for you? Heavenly Father, that's a question that we ask this morning. What do you want for your people? As we, uh, as we anticipate a new year, time is, is really nothing to you, but you use time to form us and to change us and experiences. And sometimes you, you use uh, reminders of true stories from people who lived in the Bible a long time ago for what really is on your heart you have for us. And so we're going to sit here and listen to your spirit and we're going to respond in song and we're going to go forth from this place, but we don't, we don't want to not be with you. We want to be tethered and help us in gentleness and in truth and in grace. Point us to what you have for us. For your beautiful name, I pray.